listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Let the Bible Speak. It is my delight and privilege week by week to bring the Word of God to your ears, and I trust beyond your ears the Word of God will find the good ground, the good soil of a good heart. We do pray that God will use His Word week by week and encourage you. We are studying at the present time a series looking at the early chapters of the book of Revelation. This book is given to encourage the church and in all of the chapters we see Christ. We, we, we see Christ as the means whereby the church can be encouraged because understanding our Lord, our Saviour and his role in this world will help us greatly going forward. Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 5 and we, we will see the importance of Christ's rule as the one who has the power and the authority to execute God's purposes for this world. May God be pleased to bless his word and let me pray with you to that end. Eternal God, we thank you for this time together and we pray that you bless the word of God to every listener. We pray that they would have a sight of Christ. We pray their hearts would be warmed and that their love for Christ would increase. Pray that this message would encourage the church uh, for the glory of Christ. Amen. We'll turn tonight to Revelation chapter 5. And we'll read the first seven verses of this chapter, Revelation chapter 5, reading down to the end of verse number 7. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came, and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Amen. May God please to bless and encourage us in his precious word tonight. The book of Revelation as we've noticed over these last weeks, contains words from Christ by the Spirit to John to suffering churches. These are words intended to encourage churches that are suffering persecution for their allegiance to Christ Jesus. And keeping that in mind uh, should encourage us when we think of verse number 1 of chapter 4, where John is brought into heaven, and the Lord says to him, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And the Lord is going to show John things that are to come, things that are intended to encourage John and to encourage the suffering church. 
The things to come are things that will flow from the throne of God. We noticed in chapter 4, the, the whole theme of that chapter is the majesty and the mercy of God in executing His sovereign will. He, he sits in the throne in majesty to execute mercy. And so the things that are to come are things that are couched in mercy. Lo, lo, there are many things that are things of judgment and condemnation. Yet still, it is the mercy of God operating as he executes the future for the glory of his name. For thy, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Verse 11 of chapter 4. And so when we enter chapter 5, well, we're still awaiting the sight of these things that are to come. We haven't been told yet. We've been told, chapter 1, John is going to tell us, he's going to be shown things that are to come. And yet all through chapter 4, there's, there's no new revelation regarding the things that are to come. Where we've been shown the throne. And so you've got to keep in mind, well, there are things yet to come. And yet well, you get to chapter 5, and there's not some, some new thing put into the picture now. And that new thing, of course, verse number 1, is a book. A book written within, and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, of course, we must remember that we are reading visions here. God has no body. He has no right hand. Literally, in that sense, all of this is symbolic, and all of it is profoundly significant. The book, likely referencing a scroll of some form, a rolled parchment, it's interesting, going back into some of the secular history, there are records that these scrolls could be dozens of feet long, rolled together, but dozens of feet long, perhaps. And there's some record, perhaps even over 100 feet in some cases. These are huge rolls of parchment or some other paper. Listen to one authority. It says this, When rolled up, the writing was hidden inside, and the scroll was sealed to keep it from being opened. The seals were either wax or clay, which is put on soft or wet, imprinted with a signet ring, and then left to harden or dry. Thus secured, the scroll could not and would not be opened up accidentally. Its contents were such that only a particular person with due authority would have the right to open it. They'd be worthy to open the seals. The fact that the scroll, this writer continues, the fact that the scroll in God's hand is sealed with seven seals means that the contents are matters of great importance, and the scroll can be opened and read only by someone authorized or qualified to do so. And so you get that setting. This is a, this is a setting that is unusual to us today, the idea of a, of a scroll. Now, oh, yes, in some uh, great place of authority, you may get a, a wax seal upon a document to authenticate it, to show its importance, of course. But this idea of a, a rolled-up parchment sealed and then contained and sealed by that seal, well, this is something that we're not perhaps so familiar with. But what is this book? And what's written therein? Well, in answering that, what comes before chapter 4 and what comes after helps us determine the meaning of the book. I've already said chapter 4, verse 1, things which must be hereafter. Chapter 6 and 7, you read of the seals being broken. And as the seals are being broken, you read of events of turmoil and trouble and also triumph. But as you think about this book and the seals, 
There are two Old Testament verses uh, that point us in the right direction here. Remember, there is so much of Revelation that is couched in the imagery of the Old Testament. So turn back, please, to Isaiah chapter 29. Keeping in mind that these things that we see in Revelation, much of it has to do with Old Testament images. And then you see, well, what's this reference in Isaiah 29? Well, Isaiah 29 and the verse number 11. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men delivered one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I am not learned. And all I'm showing you here is that there's a, a sense here of a book that is sealed and the book that contains words of prophecy that has to be opened and read by the right person. It's an important thing to see this book as a, as a reference to prophetic scriptures, things that are to come in a book that is sealed. You'll see even a, perhaps an even more emphatic parallel is Ezekiel chapter 2. Go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you get Ezekiel chapter 2, and you'll see there in the verse number 9, it says here, And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me. And listen, and it was written within and without. So I, I'm not suggesting that Isaiah references the same as Ezekiel 1. I'm just showing you some of these Old Testament pictures, a sealed prophecy in Isaiah. And here, a book written within and without it. What's it say? Well, within, there was written lamentations and mourning and woe. And you know, Ezekiel is on in chapter 3, and he, he has to eat the book, and it's sweet, and yet it's, it fills the boils, and you get the, the pictures of this mixture of sweetness and sourness in the book of prophecy. And so when you get to, uh, to, to Revelation chapter 5, and you know your Old Testament, and you read of a book that is written within, and on the backside, sealed with seven seals, and you go back to Isaiah, you go back to Ezekiel, and you understand this book is a book of prophecies. Prophecies that are sealed. But in Revelation chapter 5, when the seals are opened, it is not simply the revelation of the future. It's not the unveiling to see the future. But when the seals are opened, the future actually happens. So in the words of prophecy, attached to the revelation is actually the very fulfillment of the prophecies. That they come to pass when the seals are opened. Hendrickson says this, the meaning is this, the closed scroll indicates the plan of God, and here's the two things, unrevealed one and unexecuted. That's the second aspect. So back in the Old Testament, you get this idea of, uh, of words that are contained, but now in Revelation, you get the thought that when the seals are broken, the events actually occur. He says this, if that scroll remains sealed, God's purposes are not realized. His plan is not carried out. To open that scroll by breaking the seals means not merely to reveal, but to carry out God's plan. So therefore, this book, this scroll, contains the ongoing plan and purpose of God. Plans for judgment over in chapter 6 and the verse number 12 and following. There's the, the sixth seal is opened and there's, there's judgment comes upon the world. 
There's a, there's a judgment scene in, within these seals. But alongside that, when you get to chapter 7, you have the events, the accounts of, of people being gathered together, the 144,000 being gathered together, the great multitude which no man can number. You see the fulfillment and the finality of, of the word redemption. So the seals contains ongoing judgment, but also the plans of God for the finality of redemption in our glorified state. All of this within the seals contained within this book. And so with that in mind, let's note first of all tonight some of the implications from the vision of the scroll. First of all, this scroll is sealed. It's not yet opened, not yet revealed, not yet executed. Now here we must be careful. John is seeing a vision likely in around A.D. 90. But here his vision takes him backwards, backwards about 60 years. And then his vision, looking now into the past, the question is asked by the strong angel, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Remember, we saw that in the seals, the sealed scroll had to be opened by a worthy person, the right person. Well, we will see in future studies that Christ is worthy. He has overcome through his death. He is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals thereof. But for now, as John sees the vision, the seals are closed. The book is not yet opened. But as we read it now, well, Christ is worthy. And Christ has taken the scroll and opened the seals thereof. So this is a revelation of things that are taking place in our time, as well as things that are yet to come. It reminds us of the, the relevance of this. John's vision is relevant to the first century Christians, because Christ at the time has already taken the scroll. John's just seeing, he's, he's seeing it back in time, if you like. He's, he's, he's getting to feel the experience of the necessity of a worthy man. That's a very important thing for the Christian to come to, to come to see the necessity of the right man. Christ, the right man to execute the plan and purpose of God. So John's going to see that, but it's, it's sealed, and yet now we know these things are coming to pass. Secondly, note where it is situated. It is sealed, and it is situated in the right hand. I saw in the right hand of him that sat in the throne. It's in the right hand of God. The right hand of God always speaks of God's authority, God's sovereignty, speaks of God's power to do all that is in his hand. None can stay his hand. He's got a strong right arm, a strong right hand that indicates his power and his ability. It is sealed. It is situated in God's right hand, and it is written on on both sides, thirdly, both sides. It's full of writing. Perhaps you noted when I read the authorities' views of the seals, they made point that it's normally written on just one side. But this is written on both sides, within and without, written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. Nothing more to add. No space for additions. The complete purpose of God contained in these seals, known to the writer, unknown, sealed at the time, unknown to the reader. But the one who wrote the words upon the scroll knows every word, has planned every word, and purposes to accomplish every word. This is a tremendously important insight into your thinking regarding the decrees of God. 
So when you see this picture, you get, a, you get some very important doctrines regarding the, the very decrees of the eternal decrees of God. God's decrees are fully known and planned by God. Nothing in the future is left to chance. Not the salvation of any soul. Not any working out of human history. All of this is fully known and planned to the Almighty God. The decrees that are executed in light of Christ's work. Now, whilst we see in Revelation chapter 5, we see the future after Christ's work, we also know that the entirety of human history centers upon the work of Christ. Everything comes to the head on the cross and resurrection of our Savior. So the decrees of God are certain to come to pass. Nothing, nothing cannot fail to accomplish of God's perfect will. The delight of knowing the sovereignty of God's so that's some of the implications regarding this, regarding this scroll. There's a question then arises, secondly, and the question is voiced by this strong angel. Different ideas regarding what that means. Certainly some sort of prominent chief angel. And this chief angel has the authority to ask the question, who is worthy? The angel, of course, the messenger of God. And the angel only ever gives a message that comes from God. So God himself is asking the question. Who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Who's able to set in motion the purposes of God? Well, no one. No one but Christ is. And we'll get to that. But before we get to that, we should not quickly pass by the consternation about the scroll. We've seen the implications in the question. And then thirdly, note the consternation of verse number four. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. I find myself, Monday I think it may have been, just asking myself the question, why was John weeping here? We get the statement of fact, but do we understand? Can we discern what it is? Clearly, this is the weeping of a holy man. It's a weeping that's recorded, recorded and instructive. It's the weeping of one who is conscious that not one, not one of Adam's fallen race is worthy of the task of opening the scroll. It says that. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open to read the book, nor to look thereon. So he's weeping. I believe because he knows there is no salvation for God's people, no coming of God's kingdom, no hope, unless there is a worthy man able to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof. He is understanding and that it requires the right man to come and do the right task for the seals to be opened and therefore for the working out of God's redemptive purposes to come to pass. He weeps because he wants to see God's will executed. To my mind, that implies a couple of things, and with these we'll close. First of all, his desire to see God's will executed implies that he trusts that God's future will is good. His burden for God's will to be executed is not met with any reservation. No doubts, no concerns, 
But absolute conviction that what God will do in the future will be good. Therefore, he wants the seals opened. Whatever they may be, he's burdened to know and to see the will of God being done. And though, though our futures are unknown, it is the joy of the child of God by faith to know that God's future will for us as his people is good. His future will for his church is good. You see, we, we come to that conviction in our souls. Uh, and there are various reasons why we come to such convictions. God's character, God's covenant, God's conduct, these things, they, they encourage us in the knowledge that what God wills to do in the future will indeed be good. His will is always good. God's character is a good character. Psalm 119, thou art good and doest good. The character of God guarantees the goodness of God in all of his will. He cannot will anything that is morally bad, and he cannot will anything that is bad in the sense of his glory. All that he wills is good in the strictest sense of that term. That's why we take the verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 so well. All things for good, because it's impossible for God to will evil for his children. Though things that are evil may come across our path, in the will of God they are good. His character is good. His covenant is gracious. He's a gracious God. The Lord is gracious unto them, compassion on them, because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 2 Kings 13. God's covenant is one of grace. We come, and we take the Lord's table, we take the blood of the new covenant, the new testament, and we take that because we believe we are part of God's covenant of grace. And as part of God's covenant, therefore all of his ways for us are gracious. His promises are gracious toward us. His conduct has always been gracious. Grace has been shown to us. Born in such a place, at such a time, given the grace at one point in our lives of the Word of God, the gift of the Spirit of God opening our hearts, showing us Christ, the gift of faith and repentance, the ability to see Christ being glorious, all of God's conduct to us has been good and gracious to this point, and we have no reason to doubt its future. See, John, he believes in the goodness of God and the covenant of God and the grace of God. He believes all of these things. Therefore, the thought of God's will not being executed caused him to weep because he knows the future's good. And that should be our conviction. The hand of God is upon all them for good that seek him, said Ezra in Ezra chapter 8. Whenever John weeps, it implies that he trusts that God's future will is good. And secondly, when he weeps, it shows, it shows us that a godly man lives hoping and longing for God's redemptive purposes to be fulfilled. That's how a godly man lives. Lives praying, thy, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. The, the burden for God's kingdom to be established. You see, we... 
We read this looking back 2,000 years back in time, and we know that Christ has shown himself worthy. The seals are broken, or yet they're broken, depends on your thoughts and some of those things. But we, we live in a day and an age, we still live in a day, when it's all not yet come to pass. It's not finished yet. We live in the now and the not yet. And individually we feel that. Individually, I, I want the fulfillment of God's purpose in my life. He's promised that having begun a good work in me, he'll perform it. But it's not finished yet. I, I still feel the weakness of the flesh. We saw that last week. The impairment of my devotional life. The inability to, to really walk with God as I desire. I, I feel that. You feel that. We, we want the future purpose of God to be fulfilled. So we, we, we weep with John at the thought that would not come to pass. We understand that sin remains and we hate it. So individually, we want the purpose of God to be fulfilled. Ecclesiologically, if I can use that term, regarding the church, we want the will of God to be completely fulfilled. We long to see thy churches filled with all thy chosen race. We, 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 we long for that day when all the redeemed of God are together around the throne. We want all the seals broken and the multitude gathered together around the throne. That's our burden. That's why you pray, isn't it? We're praying for the kingdom to come. We pray for the church to be fully cleansed, every hypocrite removed, and every saint perfected. We have that burden ecclesiologically for the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom. We have the burden globally. The burden that the creation itself is groaning. We have the burden as we join with creation is groaning. We want to see Christ return and all things made right, all things made new. I think John's weeping here gives us an insight into the heart of the man of God who longs and hopes for God's redemptive purposes to be fulfilled. And when we come to pray privately or corporately, we are praying in that regard. We're praying the scroll is in Christ's hands. May all of God's will be executed. It is good. It is for his glory. And may he do his will. And may we be content as we see his will being done in us and through us and around us. I don't think I'm stretching things too far to see those things in John's weeping. He longs to see the scrolls opened and the will of God being executed. And we, as the people of God, ought to have the same burdens and desires in our own hearts. But we'll come back in another study and we'll look some more at the lamb that was worthy. And we'll consider the lion of the tribe of Judah. In the meantime, may our hearts be encouraged to the thought of Christ being worthy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.